I was chastised by Maureen O'Hara for coughing and not standing up so God could see me and bless me. <laughs> nice. That goes nice. that that will go down in history for me. So was this a fulfilling weekend for you as far as movies go? You know, movies that won in the spirits or the Oscars or was it overall a really great weekend for you? This was for me an amazing weekend for movies. Oscars Grand Budapest Hotel picked up four. The techie stuff. Mm-hmm. Alexander Desplat yeah. uh, did not cancel himself out, being a double nominee <laughs> right. for Best Original Score. Yeah. So that was, and uh, very correctly, you know, he won for Grand Budapest because that soundtrack with Grand Budapest is so inventive, so creative, and the musicality of it and the musical instruments that were used to create it. It just so well. It truly is the best. Speaking of the best and a little bit of music regarding Whiplash, I thought J.K.'s acceptance speech where he pretty much convinces or pleads for people to call their their parents while they're still Mm -hmm. around and and listen to them. That was a short and sweet and very moving. I almost teared up at that acceptance speech. That was that was beautiful. So that was really beautiful. But of course, I got to see J.K. Grab an award the day before at the Spirit Awards. And how was that? How did that make you feel? Did did he did he scream? Did he have a really great acceptance speech or anything like that? He was, you know, I didn't really get to see his acceptance speech because the way it works at the Spirit Awards is we're sitting in the press tent after doing the carpet, and we're watching part of the show on air. But as winners come back to the press tent, they turn the volume down, and you're concentrating on trying to ask questions to the winner. So we will be talking to, uh, we will be hearing from some of the winners and my handy-dandy questions to them. Um, but first, mm. we have to talk about the, the, the pink carpet this year. The pink carpet. The pink carpet. It was pink. Last year it was blue. It was blue last year. This year it's pink. It's never been red in your, what, 25, 26 years? It has been red in the past. Okay. It has been red in the past. Uh, T-Mobile, who was a primary sponsor this year, I think they, just, because that's one of their color schemes of their ad campaigns now Mm -hmm. i think they picked the color of pink it was a lovely pink anybody that goes to my website movieshark.com you can check out all the gorgeous videos that lydia shot and edited of my uh, carpet interviews the quality of the the video is really beautiful on your on your site too that's all due to that's all due to lydia i have warmth of the color in your interviews and doesn't the pink looks lovely doesn't it pink looks lovely and it reflects the skin tones very nicely but the carpet was a lot of fun there were a lot of spirit winners that also went on to be oscar winners um birdman being the biggest one Mm. Mm. i was checking my twitter feed this morning and someone was complaining about birdman winning at the the spirits because it's a 22 million budgeted film starring a-list actors distributed by fox searchlight Mm-hmm. I believe so. Yeah. So, what what is your take on that? Is is it truly an indie film, and should it be lumped into that category? I, I think yes. I think Birdman is an indie film. Um, a lot of people were hot and heavy for Boyhood, but mm-hmm. as I have said from the very beginning about Boyhood, this is just an expanded version from Richard Linklater of what he did with the Before trilogy. True. Right. Instead of doing one film, one film, one film, nine years apart, he just combined everything together over 12 years right and the premise of following one family which basically we do in the before trilogy 
the really great part of Boyhood was watching Eller Coltrane grow up on screen. <laughs> yes. I yes. just I just love Eller, and he is one of the nicest young men out there. So you think the Birdman situation, that's an empty complaint. It really belongs as part of that whole I, I I think it does. And there's so much discussion on what determines an indie. Right. Um, I do think, though, that film independent should be lowering the dollar amount for what qualifies, what can be considered for a film. If you had the gavel, what would be that range for you? I would knock it down to $5 million. That's tough. $5 million. Wow. I w- you, you want to be indie? Be indie. Okay. That's... Yeah, that would give more, sorry, yeah, that would give a lot more spotlight to many of the films you cover and champion yourself. And that's, I think, as much as I love Birdman and I, I love Boyhood and all these great films that are part of the spirits, I'd like to know as a film fan more about the $300,000 film that mm-hmm. got a bad distribution deal but isn't actually a great film mm-hmm. that stars maybe not an A-level actor. A-level actor, but maybe a B-level actor who gives his or her best performance. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of things I'd like to see on a regular basis from these kind of award shows. That And yeah. uh, I'm with you on that because, as I've said over and over over the years, you know, this is where we're going to get our future filmmakers. Right. Yeah. This is where they're going to come from. Um, but the Spirit Awards were absolutely fabulous. We started on, on the carpet, had some great interviews. One of my favorite. I have to say, with my gal, Renee Russo, we're going to hear our interview right now. Nice. One quick one with Chase Renzi. My girl, Chase Renzi. I love you. Oh, my God, I'm thinking, what movie is that? Chase, 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 Chase. Is that, what is it? That was, that was Showtime. That was Showtime. That's, oh, my God. You see how bad I am? Because when we, did, when we did the press day, and I had just told Dan, and I told you, Nina Romina is Chase. Nina Romina, right? Yeah, is, is, she's on steroids. That's it. She's on steroids, absolutely. How? Number one, congrats on the BAFTA nomination. Oh, thank you so much. I have thank been you. I have been chastising every awards organization oh, out there for over, for passing you over oh, for this so role. Sweet. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate. it. Look, I'm just happy to like. I'm happy for Danny. That's the truth. I'm so happy for Danny. How exciting is I'm it? So happy for Danny. Oh my God, you have no idea. For me, okay, whatever. I got to tell you, whatever. For him, I'm really happy. Well, I'm so happy for all of you, and you're going to be back on the screen soon, or you going to never know if there's a good part, maybe. Well, tell somebody to get to work. Right, exactly. I got to get to work too. I got to like put it out there oh, instead of like putting it in the garden. Good. So good to see you again. See you Bye. And the beauty of that is that Dan Gilroy, her husband, who yeah. wrote and directed Nightcrawler was standing immediately to her left. So she's throwing yeah. him shade about <laughs> writing more parts and getting her more work. Actually, the beauty of that is you came up with the Showtime reference, that film starring, I believe, uh, De Niro and, and Shatner, and was Murphy in it? Yes. Wow. That was yep. kind of a really obscure reference, but really cool. Oh, and it's <laughs> it's been a running joke for years between nice. us. Nice. But she can never remember the names of her films. She remembers her characters, but not, but not the films. So that was, you know, catching up with Renee on the carpet. And I have to say, out of everybody at the Spirit Awards, I think that Renee Russo 
was the most joyous and the happiest when her husband Dan won uh, best uh, for best screenplay and best first feature for Nightcrawler. Nice. Yeah. She was in tears, but oh, ecstatically wow. beaming. Yeah. So yeah. I couldn't be happier for for Renee, for Dan, and for Nightcrawler, which we have all loved. I love that quote when she says, "I'd rather I, I need to start putting it out there instead of putting it in, into my garden." <laughs> so I, I can imagine her backyard. How you know? So. But no sooner did we leave the carpet, mm. and the show started. Sat in the press tent, and who do I get to then have come walking back? None other than Dan Gilroy, now a two-fisted winner for Best Screenplay and Best First Feature at the Spirit Awards. Mm. And here's what I got to ask Dan. How difficult was it to persuade the lovely Chase Renzi to play Nina Romina? Chase Renzi? Well, actually, Renee Russo played. <laughs> I know. So Chase actually is the name that she had in Showtime. Showtime. Yeah. That's that's inside baseball right there. I love that. Yeah. That's great. Uh, Renee's my wife, and I wrote the part for her, and uh, she didn't see it until it was done. But uh, it didn't take any convincing. She she elevated the material, I think, like all the actors did. It was a reductive script. There was not a lot that was really described. And I thought all of the actors actually brought life into these characters in a way that the script didn't have. Mm. So he was very happy, too. You know, my mom this morning, she was saying... She is yet to see Nightcrawler, but she saw a trailer for Nightcrawler. And she said, just looking at Jake's performance, he should have supplanted some of the Oscar nominees. I'm not going to name which, which actors, but do you feel Jake definitely... Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Because for best... And I can tell you right now who I would have bumped out of best actor, and I think you know. <laughs> You're just going to say it? <laughs> Steve Carell. Really? Okay. Absolutely. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Absolutely. I would have I would have supplanted I would have bumped Carell and supplanted Jake. Mm, okay. I don't oof. I'm just surprised. I I think Redman was the favorite one last night. Eddie's been favored, you know, for quite a while. He got on a roll. Right. And it right. was it was coming down to Keaton and Redmayne. Keaton and Redmayne. How do you not pick Keaton though in that situation kind of the body of work all those years but see work. there again you can't look at the body of work i know it's on I, the I performance totally, on the performance i totally agree i'm trying to get into the mind of the average <laughs> academy voter and i'm thinking they might have given him that extra little push but it seems that the, i was wrong i mean eddie's portrayal of stephen hawking oh yeah is just you are in tears watching that that film because you also know the odds that this man beat in life. Mm. And he is still here, and he is still working, and he is still fighting, and he is still enlightening us. And, uh-oh, we're going to commercial break. We'll be right back. Behind the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www. CulverCityObserver.com And we're back. And we are back. <laughs> and we still have Baymax here. We still have Baymax. We slash have- Hal. Hello. I am Baymax, your personal healthcare companion. Please remember, it is fun to be smart. Have fun. Have fun. Have fun. And like 
Mr. Gilroy said, it's okay to be a little bit inside baseball with your Renzi Showtime <laughs> reference. <laughs> I'm I'm old. I'm wise. No, that's great. Sometimes, and yeah. but we're very well preserved. You know, part of being inside baseball is when you do a press conference, and I've been part of this. <laughs> I always, I always know that Debbie's going to ask the first or the second question, so I can kind of sit back and relax. And I'm sure that's probably what happened inside the tent with some of the directors who came back. It it did with <laughs> with some of them. Some of them I waited, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our colleague Jamie Philbrick got a few first firsters in there. Good. Good. You know, so it was it was really nice to have myself, Ned Airbar from Metro, mm. um, Ned, who called in for it with us on the Golden Globes. Yes. Um, Jamie was there. Uh, Scott Hoover was covering for In Style at this event. So Scott really? was there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, mm. Michael Hickson was there from The Beach Reporter. They're all good reporters. So, yeah. Yes. So we were commandeering like the first row. You guys anchored the whole spirit section, I guess. The press, as far as the press goes. Shouldn't we? <laughs> you <No. laughs> should. You should. You should. Yeah. But, you know, a film that didn't win, but it wins in so many other respects, is Virunga. Academy mm. Award nominee and Spirit Award nominee for Best Documentary. Executive produced by Leonardo DiCaprio. An amazing, powerful film. Um, about what's happening down in the Varenga National Park in the Congo. Um, 880 mountain gorillas are left. There's been civil war down there. There's fighting over natural resources. Um, and the gorillas are getting decimated. But there are a few people that are trying to do something about it. And one of them is the gorilla carer, the primary gorilla carer, uh, Andre Balma. Andre Balma came from the Congo to the United States for the Spirits, for the Oscars. Wow. To talk about Virunga, to talk about his beloved gorillas. And with him was Orlando von Einseidel, who Mm. produced and directed this. So I had a chance to talk to both of them on the carpet at the Spirit Awards. I was very privileged to get to talk to Andre because of his work. And here's what they had to say. Virunga. Yes. It is an amazing, amazing documentary. Where did this come from? What inspired this? You know, what inspired us was a hopeful story. These guys, the amazing work they're doing, and we just fell in love with that. We wanted to show a story that you don't normally hear from Congo, and that's what drew us in. And for the two of you, how excited are you to be here today? How, how do you feel to be here today? Uh, I feel so happy to be here with uh, many people and to tell about uh, what is happening in Virunga National Park and in the, the problem we, we have in the Congo. Now, uh, many people will know uh, our problems and... Maybe we can get now uh, people to help us, and this is uh, we are waiting for, and give us a hope in our country, in our Virunga National Park. And that was Andre, and it was yeah, it was a privilege to get to talk to him because as you watch him, and again this. 
this interview, the fu- the full interview. This this was just a you know small excerpt of it. The full carpet interview is already up on uh, on my website. Oh, nice! So people can see, you know, the passion. You just see it in his face. Oh, how how proud he is and how thrilled he is that his 880 mountain gorillas are getting some attention. And this was one of your top documentaries from last year? Definitely. Okay. Definitely one of my top docs. But I'll tell you, the doc that did win, that everybody has predicted all year long, it picked up a Spirit Award, picked up an Oscar, is Citizen Four. Well-deserved. Well, you've seen it? I've seen it. I, you know what, I, I... I have issues. You know, for me, I, I'm very sentimental, so I have a personal bias towards Vim Benders. So anything with salt of the earth, I'm kind of, you know, the idea of a man traveling the world and embedding himself in different cultures. Mm-hmm. And that to me, I mean, obviously Citizen Four definitely deserved it, but I guess it's, it really depends on your taste as far as the documentary format. But I love those long journeys, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's the Congo, whether it's in the Middle East or whatnot. So that was my personal pick. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I would have, uh, for me, it would be either Virunga or Salt of the Earth. Right. But, you know, Citizen Four is such a globally important yeah, very topical, documentary yeah. and is so important to the United States Constitution, freedom of speech, right. and all the issues that we have been facing in terms of uh, this, this transparency. And granted, what Edward Snowden did, disclosing, disseminating, right. very important has sparked a lot of controversy, a lot, but a lot of changes and a lot of discussion. And it's something that was needed to happen. Um, parts of the documentary I had problems with. Such as? Such as his, Snowden's mugging for the camera. Right. Things right. Like, and, if, and I still have issue, take issue with if you are really doing something to benefit the country, to mm-hmm. benefit the United States citizen, the citizens of the United States, just put it out there. Don't do this secure, the, the encryption and picking out right. journalists or something. Just disseminate it everywhere. Don't leave it to a journalist to decide what to <laughs> disseminate. You know, if you're that passionate about it, just put it out there. Well, the good thing is that whole that entire field was all quality films. So that's and that's rare. Yeah, very rare. That's so. that's extremely rare. But I had a chance to talk to Laura Poitras not only on the carpet, mm. but also after she picked up her Spirit Award. Nice. So here's what she had to say. Did you ever think you'd be holding that in your hand? Uh, no. Um, we prepared for a lot of bad case scenarios. We didn't spend a lot of time thinking about good case scenarios. So, so, we weren't. so how does it feel for the good, for the best case scenario? I mean, it's incredible. I mean, we really there were there were some times where we, you know, Glenn and I, when we were debating whether or not when when if we'd be coming back to the U.S. So this is what yeah, no, and I also think it's been, it's great because there's a huge debate about what Edward Snowden did and um, the virtues of defying the government in order to bring transparency, and I think this is a really good um, commentary on the nobility of doing that and the bravery of doing that, and regardless of what you think, on the importance of the debate that it can trigger. So. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And then they went on to win Oscar. And then they went, went on to win Oscars. Have you ever covered the Oscars? 
I have. Years ago, I did, and I Income. stopped seven yeah. seven years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. You just got tired of the whole kind of thing in the back, and it's just really... It's, it's everyone's just, like sardines, right? I would much rather focus on the smaller event, like the Spirit Awards and the smaller films that don't get as much love. Yeah. So, but... Something to champion. Something. (laughs) (laughs) That's part of your MO. Yes, yes, yes. That's part of my MO. But then, everybody, the woman who was unstoppable this year, you know, for the film that so many are ranting and raving today that it did not win an Oscar, Boyhood, but but for this one. Right, right. I think Boyhood should have won the Oscar. That's my personal opinion. Only... I think I think Grand Budapest should have won. <laughs> Are we just saying that Birdman should not have won the Best Picture for the Oscar? No, I think Birdman was very deserving. Um, yeah, yeah. All of the elements of it, you know, when I look at a best of something, I look at all the elements that comprise it. Yeah. And Grand Budapest, I think it was a little more creative and inventive, especially when it came... T- for both Birdman and Grand Budapest Hotel. Amazing cinematography. Mm. The Grand Budapest were shooting in three different aspect ratios in <laughs> one film. You yeah. know, Birdman, you've got Luz Becky, who went, who won the Spirit Award and right. won the Oscar, who is shooting virtu- to give it a one-shot look for the whole film. There were some cuts in there, and even right. as Inere 2 and, Lube- and Luz Becky both said, you know, there are cuts. So yeah. it's not one shot, but the cinematography of both these films, stunning. You know, what was stunning was it tone wise, it stayed on that same fever pitch from the opening seconds and it just really, maybe the rooftop sequence, it let up a little bit, but it was just pure energy, mm-hmm. pure cinematic energy. And for that, I mean, that it's one of my favorite films from last year, but Again, I'm I'm a sentimentalist, and I really loved what they did with Boyhood, and I felt it was really kind of unjustly ignored as far as Best Picture goes. Well, luckily, Patricia Arquette picked up yes. her Spirit Award and her Oscar Award for Best Supporting Actress. A.K.A. Alabama from True Romance. I'm throwing out <laughs> Chase Renzi Showtime thing. Okay, your turn now. Okay, your turn. I, that's my favorite if character. You're Inside Baseball. Inside Baseball, True Romance, one of my all-time favorite films. So. Wow. So, I had a chance yeah. to ask Patricia Arquette about winning, because on stage when she accepted, she mentioned about being invited to the party for the first time. So, how was the party going for her? Now, Patricia, you mentioned that this is your first time being invited to the party. Yeah. So, how's the party so far? That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's nice to be here, I mean, because... Because I've turned out a lot of interviews. I have for many, many years. And sometimes it was very difficult to be a single mom at 20 to turn down a movie that was a big movie that I didn't love as a movie. Um, and instead I was doing independent films. So this is the independent film world. So it's very nice to be asked. Yes. And of course, following up the Spirit Award with her Oscar acceptance speech. Oh, yeah. Which just set the room on fire. Yeah. It was a very safe acceptance speech, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But, you know, the, nail. the fact that yeah. she took a lot of role, you know, as a single mom, it was very difficult mm-hmm. for her right. with the choices she was making. If we had the equal pay, maybe it wouldn't have been as difficult for her. Yeah. 
So this this was something she set the groundwork for for the Oscar speech. Uh, curious question: Have you seen True Romance? I just got to put it, put it I out have. There. Your thoughts on that movie? I have none. You have none. You have no thoughts on one of my all-time favorite films. I like, oh, no. you, you liked I, it. I and liked she was it. great as Alabama. I better like in boyhood. It. Yeah, of course. But of oh, course. definitely better in boyhood. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah. is no denying, you know, her skills. Definitely. There's one film that she's she did years ago that I really want to check out. It's called Beyond Rangoon, directed by John Borman, mm-hmm. who I I love his work. I haven't seen. He did Point Blank and The Emerald Forest, mm-hmm. but I really want to revisit some of her her earlier work from the '90s. So, well, now's the perfect time to yes, do it. Yes. But and then of course, and as a reminder to people, we're going to have Bruce Wagner, screenwriter of Map to the Maps to the Stars, yes. calling in shortly. Nice. Um, what's exciting about Bruce, besides the film, which I am crazy about, Maps to the Stars, but it also stars. Uh, our Best Actress winner at the Spirit Awards and the Oscar Awards, right. Julianne Moore. Yeah. So, ah, and we have Bruce calling in now. So, why don't we talk to Bruce now? Oh, we're waiting. We're getting the waiting sign. We're getting we're the getting, waiting sign. We're getting the waiting sign. So, I did love Maps to the Stars as well, by the way. Is it not fabulous? Yes, very, very fabulous. Oh, my God. I was blown away. Of course, I'm a huge Cronenberg fan anyway. Same here. Yeah. I mean, he, David Cronenberg always pushes, he pushes that envelope. Do you have a favorite Cronenberg film? A Dangerous Method. I love that film. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah. You know, I like, I'm partial to The Fly, History of Violence. History of Violence. Well. Yeah. But definitely my favorite Cronenberg film. But Maps of the Stars is right up there. And I think it, it's because it is so inside. Yeah, very inside baseball, but very, it's a great collaboration between Cronenberg and Wagner. Oh. The, both of them have their own kind of aesthetic, and it merges perfectly. Oh, and we now have the good to go sign. So, Bruce Wagner, how are you? Hi, Deb. How are you? I'm 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 well. I am so thrilled to talk to you again. I just I just love this movie so much, and at the Spirit Awards on Saturday, uh, I even got to mention. Uh, how great the film is and the performance to Julianne Moore when she picked up her Spirit Award for Best Actress. Yeah, it's all lovely, and, and I thank you for that. I'm, I'm thrilled that you love the movie. Uh, so Greg is here with me. And Hi, I'm Bruce. Just... Hi, Greg. So we talked at length about this, this incredible film, and I am still, I am so excited about it, and I have not come down from the high of our conversation about it. <laughs> uh, where did this story come from this is a very inside hollywood inside baseball story but it is it just touches on to on life well you know it, it's i feel like like richard linkletter's daughter uh, in boyhood i mean this this movie was developed for so long i wrote it probably 22 or three years ago mm. and at the time i wrote it as a kind of antidote for this corrupt path that I felt that I was taking. I was writing scripts for money that were never getting made, and I I was becoming deeply depressed. So I wrote it as a kind of um, cri de cour, you know, a shout in the dark. Uh, It was a film that I never thought would be made, so I I wrote it like you would, like a journal would be cathartic or a diary. So it, it, you know, I don't, the way I write, although people may think otherwise or, um, or somehow get that idea, 
I don't write anecdotally. Uh, you know, I don't write from real life, so to speak. I, I kind of invent my characters and storylines from a place of, of uh, deep darkness and, and self-examination. So um, that's what I do. So the story doesn't, you know, it, I certainly didn't know any, any uh, I'm sure they're out there, <laughs> any incestuous <laughs> Hollywood marriages that begot monster children. But I, I just wanted to comment on the extremity that, the extremities, let's say, that are available here in Hollywood of, of, of the human comedy and the human template, you know. So that's what I did. Well, something that I found extremely fascinating with the film and the story, the psychological complexities of the characters, the haunting, the ghosts, tackling the ghosts of of each of the characters, the guilt, the sins, the lies, um, and the irony in a ta- uh, that it's taking place in a town that's built on secrets. Well, you know, I think it's part of the, the human experience and predicament that that we live in a kind of hall of mirrors, you know. So I did, the the movie David and I did not did not want to make a commentary or or a an expose of Hollywood, you know, per se. I'm from here, so it was natural that I use um, the backdrop for my dramatis persona. You know, it was just a natural inclination. You write about what's in your backyard or front yard or basement. But um, the, the, the movie is not an, an, uh, a satire or observation of the, the mores and manners of, of Hollywood. It's really more about human behavior. It's very much a kind of melodrama, you know, a fever dream of, of a dysfunctional Hollywood family. And yes, there are ghosts abound and secrets abound, and the characters come to a, a kind of classically tragic end. Um, and, and perhaps um, everyone in Hollywood will come to that trench again, but it's, the cycle is rapid. It's kind of got the, the lifespan of an insect. You know, terrible things happen to people, and then we move on to the next triumph or tragedy. You know, um, That's just the, the nature of the ADD world we live in now. Just wondering, what is the key to your collaboration, Bruce, with David? Because both of you have very uncompromising, singular visions on, on humanity and storytelling. Was that a perfect kind of uh, marriage for you? Yeah, perfect. David and I often talk about um, ourselves as twins. I've, what I've said before is that, like in The Fly, you know, it was as if David and I got into the same pod and our DNA commingled. I wrote the script really before I knew David well, and then yeah. we became great friends over the years. And he, there were so many things about the script in terms of body mutilation, um, you know, the burns on Agatha Weiss, spiritual humiliation and desperation, Julianne Moore's character, Havana Sagran. Uh, there were, there were um, uh, uh, extreme um, sexual um, partnerships and perversions. And there was also kind of, uh, aside from humor, and David has said that all of his movies are comedies, and, and, I, and he's not joking about that, and I, I understand what he means. Um, there was... Uh, um, a kind of hopefully poetic or or spiritual aspect to maps to the stars because neither one of us feels that you can dead end with just bleakness and darkness so for whatever reason we had a mutual um uh mutual themes were in play themes that are important to both of our work as artists now the characters i are riveting each character is as intense 
and as engrossing as the next. But the two real standouts are Julianne Moore's Havana and Mia Wasikowska's Agatha. How did you go about crafting each of those characters and that ultimate relationship and intertwining of entanglement of the two? Well, oddly, I think that the the two those two characters are kind of bookends. In other words, mm-hmm. Mia um, arrives in Los Angeles with her scars visible on her physical body, and she represses everything else. You never know what she's thinking or feeling. Whereas Julianne's character, everything is is upfront. Her desperation, her shame, her humiliation is right there. And any scars that she has about her own relationship, let's say, with her mother in the past, are inside. So the, the Julianne keeps herself present and sane by this catharsis of, uh, of all the, the toxic parts of her. Mia keeps herself sane by the repression of them. And then, of course, toward the end of the movie... Julianne gets more balanced because she gets this part that she always wanted, <laughs> so she becomes less desperate. And Mia throws all of her medication away that have kept the ghosts and psychosis at bay, and she becomes more desperate. So it's a perfect storm for those two, but they're really the same person, you know, the mm-hmm. same just, person for me. Just a younger and older version. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, but they just, it is seamless watching the two of them and the transformation of their characters throughout this screenplay. One of the other, the very interesting things here is this is the first film that David Cronenberg has actually shot any part of in Los Angeles. Yeah, you know, we were going to make this movie 10 years ago, and there were some problems. Um, the prob- one of the problems was that David wanted to shoot the entire movie here in L.A., and the cost was prohibitive. Another issue was Julianne had signed on then, but she, that would be, with, with fi- the financing uh, that we arranged, we, she would be the only American actress that we could have. Um, ten years later, when David showed the script to Robert Pattinson when he was in Cannes with Cosmopolis, and Robert said he wanted to do it, Julianne was uh, still available and eager to do it, but by then she had acquired a Canadian, a, I'm sorry, a British and American citizenship. So she was dual. That was how we were able to hire John Cusack. Mm-hmm. And the compromise we made was we shot for five days here in Los Angeles, and it was the first film that David uh, at 70 ever <laughs> shot on American soil. And it, I think you use that word seamless. I think it's impossible to, to, to under, to realize that the movie was shot mostly in Toronto. Um, so many of those locations, the house of Stafford Weiss, so many things were that looked like they could have been here, Holmby Hills or UCLA, were shot in Toronto. So um, that was really important, obviously, for us, and it was also so much fun for David to be shooting here in L.A., and I was just in all the old neighborhoods, the places I grew up in, um, you know, in Beverly Hills and in Hollywood, the places that I were, were kind of my stomping grounds as a boy. So how beneficial was it to David, or how, you know, critical was it that he have you available to him since he'd never shot here before, and you knew the ins and outs like the back of your hand? Well, I think that, you know, the script was in, in was fixed and in place, and David certainly... 
um, does not need anyone to hold his hand, not that that's what you were implying. He, we are great friends, and it was an honor and a privilege for me to be allowed on the set every day. And I think sometimes in terms of language or Americanisms, um, colloquialisms, it was helpful. There were some details that were very Hollywood-centric that David may or may not have been aware of in terms of things that we updated in the script. Mm -hmm. But it was really more of a learning experience for me and a joyous experience rather than David needing me to be there. I think ultimately it was a comfort for him that I was there, um, but it was certainly wasn't mandatory. But I think that, that as we went along, we had some alterations in script and dialogue, and while David is a writer himself, I think it, it, it was always um, a, a great default to have me there. Bruce, just a curious question. Um, during your youth, I, I was reading past interviews. You actually had an experience w when you actually drove um, Orson Welles to uh, Mame San. And I'm just wondering Orson Welles' story. Does it surprise you th to this day that, you know, such a visionary filmmaker, it would be hard for the third act in his life to get financing in Hollywood? Does that ever surprise you or does nothing really surprise you as far as this town goes and the way the stories are shaped in this, within this world? No, I don't think anything's changed in that way. I think if you have a, a project that is from the heart and difficult, it, it, it will always not be easy to raise the money for that. And even after we had Julianne and Rob and David Cronenberg, we still couldn't ultimately get the, the amount of money that David wanted. I think that that is very common um, and never stops. And, and that's where passion comes into it and perseverance. Um, I mean, our movie is an extreme example, taking, you know, 22 years to get to the screen. But yeah. anytime you have something that is an outlier project or an art film, let me put it that way, which right. I think, uh, I believe Maps to the Stars is, yeah. it's going to be difficult. There are so many um, problems involved, and particularly since our movie had Hollywood as a backdrop, Hollywood movies are historically not movies that make uh, tremendous profits. Uh, so that added another layer of difficulty to it. So one just simply has to persevere. I don't think that has changed. I've been doing this for 30, 35 years, and every year uh, everyone says how difficult it is to get a movie made. And, and it's no different today than it was uh, when I first began. What is it that, what inspires you Bruce, for scripts, uh, for films, for stories, for books, you know, you've, you have such an eclectic background. I'm Losing You, Women in Film, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, a little bit in there. Now you've got Maps of the Stars, which I really think is your finest, finest work. Oh, thank you. I mean, you, you know, I'm primarily a novelist, Debbie, you know, so that's what I, that's where the raw material is generated. And you'll find Maps to the Stars uh, exists in some kind of chromosomal form in Wild Palms, a miniseries mm -hmm. that I wrote uh, that Oliver Stone produced for ABC 20 years ago. You'll find it in Force Majeure, the very first book I wrote. You'll find it in Dead Stars. It's kind of woven throughout all of my work. Uh, you know, as an artist, I have a reservoir which sometimes runs very low and sometimes is over-brimming. And I can't say, you know, what inspires me the most, I would say, is 
is our, is the kind of the poignancy of of the human predicament of being human on this planet, the hardships that people encounter and that they either succumb to them or surmount them, you know, live through them or not is is the the ultimate dramatic question for me, and to show how people live through things or not is I think the goal of, of, of any dramatist worth his salt. So I'm inspired by the dark and the light. I don't think you can have one without the other, otherwise otherwise it's a kind of closed set, you know, mm. it's an end game. Do you have a passion project yet that you haven't done? <sighs> you know, I'm I have a, a script now I've I've just finished another novel and I have a script now um that, that is uh, a passion project. Um, and we'll see what happens with it. Um, it's called uh, Gigi, but, uh, you know, it's, I've just finished it, and we'll see. Um, but generally I kind of take things as they come because I've been doing this so long that I certainly don't get my hopes up if it's something particularly that I care deeply about. Maps of the Stars is a perfect example. You know, I was 40 years old when I wrote it, and now I'm 60, or I was even... 37, and, and now it's being made, so perhaps uh, my next script will be made posthumously. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even I just think you that. have to be excited about whatever you're writing, whether the, in the day, you know, as you're writing it, you have to feel like that that's it, you know, and that that's the important thing is that, that you, you actually got it out, you know, and it's too much to think about in what form it will take and when it will happen and all of that, you know. Bruce, I have a, just a curious question. Your your readers, your fan base, they can either really absolutely adore and be passionate about your work, and then there are other people who are detractors of your style and your storytelling. Is it kind of great to be in that kind of field where you have a really strong, passionate reaction to your to your narratives, kind of like a like other authors like James Elroy? You know, it's to have that. Kind well, of, you know, yeah. I, it's I don't know if it's great. It's just the way it is. Yeah. I mean. Uh, I wrote a novel a few years ago uh, called Dead Stars, and you know the Wall Street Journal front page said it was a a, ma- a Rabelaisian masterpiece, and then a few days later the New York Times said it was pornography. You know, you 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 get used to it, uh, or at least you think you do. But Cronenberg is the same; he has the same divisive response to his work. And it, it simply is what is. It, it would be like, you know, is it great that I have brown eyes, or is it is it great that that I'm right-handed? It, I I I don't have any control over it. You know what I mean? Right, right. And would it be uh, lovely to to be, uh, you know, extolled by the world and 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 given laurels? Uh, I I don't know. It's just I'll never have that 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 experience. You know. Mm-hmm. Are you able to tell me anything at all about your new novel? The new novel, um, let's see. You know, it's it's in one of those delicate stages, <laughs> Debbie, where I've just given it to the publishers. But it does take place. It does take place in Hollywood. You know, I try to alternate novels about Hollywood with novels that don't. So my my book, The Empty Chair, my last one, does not take place here. Mm-hmm. And this next one um, takes place in Hollywood with um, with a, a celebrity who has won an Academy Award. I, I wrote it before Julianne won hers. And, um, and it's, it's about you know, human relationships, very much like Maps to the Stars was. It's kind of a, a chamber piece to uh, Maps to the Stars. It's a, a kind of 
let's say bookend, but on a, a a little bit of a smaller scale. So we'll see. It come. I don't think that will come out till next year in the spring. Mm-hmm. So will we see you and David uh, pairing up and collaborating again on something? I hope. I hope. I hope. I hope so too. <laughs> you know, David is um, does not develop too many things at all, and he has to care deeply about him so the about them so the fact that i have a a, a relationship with david that it has a lot of history to it and and a lot of breadth to it doesn't mean that 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 i can come up with something that he will want to do you know he's mm-hmm. very very much his own man and artist that way so he you know he's busy writing novels he, he wrote a, a book called consumed last year his first mm-hmm. novel and um, I think he may be writing another one. So we'll see. I would obviously it's it's a joy to work with him. Um, but uh, we we just have to see what what time and and, and material um, produces. Well, I absolutely love what the two of you have brought to us with Maps to the Stars, and I sincerely hope that you get to collaborate on something again. Well, God, uh, you'll be the first people I ring up to tell you. <laughs> oh, I, um, I will be waiting, and when you call, I will actually answer my phone. <laughs> Bruce, thank you so, so much. I can't tell it, you what a pleasure this was. Yeah. It was the same for me. I really appreciate your, 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 uh, your interest and your love of the film. Oh, thank you, Bruce, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay, guys. Thank Bye. You. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye. And that was Bruce Wagner, screenwriter of Maps to the Stars. And we're going to take a short break right now, and we'll be right back. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is the number one newspaper in Culver City, covering local news, politics, and community events, with sports by Mitch Chortkoff, and movie reviews by Debbie Lynn Elias, Culver City Observer is the place to go to be in the know. When you think Culver City and the heart of Screenland, think Culver City Observer. When you think movies and movie reviews, think Culver City Observer. Culver City Observer, a division of Arizona Newspaper Group, is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. I think I think we need different bumper music. We need a French horn in French, there. A little French horn. That was a very good interview, by the way, with Bruce Wagner. It was I, no French horn, but it was it was good. It no was French a very, horn. Very good interview. One so. day, people will. Or somebody's going to call in and ask us about our French horn. Yes. References. Yes. So yes. until somebody does, we're not telling you what we're talking about. But Maps to the Stars definitely worth a watch. It is. It's a stunner. I love the film. Well, I, I love it. Julianne Moore, excellent in the movie. Like you said, Mia Wasikowska, excellent as well. I think you championed one of her other films that she did maybe last year. That Was it called Tracks or something yes. like that? So that's another kind of... She's really. I'm really impressed with her body of work so far. Oh, yeah. it is amazing. And, you know, that, that's one of the complaints I have with Oscar because the actresses were limited to five. Right. Because if you're going to nominate Reese Witherspoon for Wild, Mia should have been in there for Tracks. Right. Another emotional journey, another beautiful film of a woman on her own. I have to see that movie. With camels. With camels. Nice. In the Australian outback. But 
Yeah, it's, Julianne Moore was definitely. Were you excited? Were you happy about the win? I was thrilled. Yeah. I was thrilled because still, Alice, it, it is. It's a little film. Not a lot of people have seen it as yet. Mm, right. And but it just it stuns. It is just so amazing. And it came out in that pathway where we had thirty seven of Final Promise dealing with illness. Then we had uh, You're Not You. Or I'm not you. Um, mm. With Hillary Swank and Emmy. Oh Rossum. right, right. I haven't seen that. Yeah, it came out last year. It is one of the most powerful girl, women, female-driven movies mm. that I've seen in a long time. Their performances are stunning. And of course, then we get Still Alice talking about Alzheimer's, but written by a gentleman afflicted with ALS. Right. I right. mean, yeah. It's just. And I love that all of these, you know, illnesses are being brought to the forefront mm-hmm. because it's Alzheimer's, is, it's so prevalent. It, we're becoming more and more aware of it. It's no longer, oh, grandma's crazy, lock her up in a closet. Yeah. And I just, I applaud Maria Shriver for all the work that she's done. Right. And she's one of the executive producers of Still Alice. And the fact is, no matter what age, there's always, you're always going to have the dream of being a filmmaker no matter what kind of disease you have or what kind of station you are in life it's it's always a big dream to actually make your first film or mm-hmm. your second film and getting the financing and to actually have that spotlighted as well the lo- the pure love of filmmaking even through harsh uh, and tragic so, times yes and you know i had a chance to talk to julianne moore after she won her spirit award on saturday so julianne down here you've got harry you've got Still Alice, Maps to the Stars is coming out. Equally powerful performance. How are you finding the balance and picking such gems out of everything that I've just you look been lucky at? I'm with what's come my way, honestly. I mean, the fact that I've had a year where I had both Maps to the Stars and Still Alice, um, I'm, I'm blown away by my good fortune. We have very little control. The only control we have is where we say yes or no, but we can't control what comes to us. And she's... She's so tr- so correct. Well, on having control, she's managed to actually balance. We were talking earlier in the show about independent spirits and mm-hmm. having that kind of indie flavor to your body of work. And over the years, she's just really balanced both fields. Mm-hmm. Very, very. I don't. I don't think there's an actor who's actually come even close to balancing it so well. And she's a children's book author. Right. Right. Yes. I, I should probably start reading some of her stuff because that's my my reading level myself. <laughs> but you know, from her early work, from with the stuff with Paul Thomas Anderson, with Boogie Nights, Evolution, her, uh, Evolution, her work with Todd Haynes in Safe and Far from Heaven, mm-hmm. and now she still continues that trend even while doing studio projects. She comes back and and does stuff like Still Alice and Maps to the Stars, and with great filmmakers as well. So yeah, and you know, when Maps to the Stars releases, and I can't remember the release date at this moment Mm. but it is just stunning and to see her and actually see her engage with a cameo by Carrie Fisher with from Carrie Fisher is just and Carrie Fisher has probably one of the greatest movie lines of movie dialogue for 2015 and I think it eventually it's going to end up on you know the AFI top 100 list of memorable movie lines. Oh, nice! I think Carrie Fisher's going to get it for her line of dialogue in Maps of the Stars. And we're not going to spoil it for. We're you. not going to spoil it for anybody, but it is absolutely delicious. So well worth seeing. So next week we yeah. have coming up we my exclusive interviews with 
Jason Blum, CEO and head of Blumhouse Productions and executive producer of The Lazarus Effect, Hmm. which opens this Friday. It is phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I'll talk to David Gelb also. And we'll be talking with uh, Jan Dimage. We'll hear what he has to say. 71. 71. About the riots in Belfast. So, we got a lot of stuff coming up. A lot of stuff. A lot of good movies coming out. And we're getting played out. And see you next week. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks.